Well, Colleen, perhaps what we're seeing now is the first steps in a long road towards justice for the victims and their families. And perhaps what we're going to see next is a recovery for this community that has uh, quite been, been quite shaken up over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Grace will have a lot more to say about that coming up. But as you've mentioned, the news of today is that police have identified the suspect. Tonight, North Vancouver is still bleeding. We are all stricken by sadness, trepidation and fear. It's hard to see something like that happen here. The more than 24 hours have not been enough time to process the horrific details of what happened here. At the Lynn Valley Library, where Saturday police say a lone knife-wielding attacker stabbed and injured six people at random, killing the seventh, a woman in her late 20s. Why exactly would drive somebody to do what, it, uh, what they did this afternoon? That is going to be the number one question for us. In the early afternoon, this boy was getting his mom a coffee when he came face to face with a suspect. When I was on my way home, I saw this guy on the middle of the street and then he had this very big knife on him. I kind of walked back to a person who I trusted and then I was like um, I'm I, I'm feeling kind of scared what could I do other witnesses are now describing some of the heroism that may have saved more lives in those very moments two men stood in front of a murderer and lured him away from others this witness writes on Twitter a woman ran ahead shouting warnings to pedestrians <laughs> Tonight, there's also new video of the alleged suspect in the moments leading up to this chilling and dramatic police takedown. Your head! Show me your head! Homicide investigators are also identifying the attacker as 28-year-old Yannick Bandaugo, who's now facing a charge of second-degree murder. A couple of more things. Police have said that the suspect has undergone surgery for self-inflicted wounds that he may have suffered prior to his arrest. We also now know that six victims that were taken to hospital from this scene yesterday afternoon had what police are describing as non-life-threatening injuries and also that the investigators working on this case are promising a significant update and a press conference scheduled for tomorrow morning. Colleen, back to you. Iman, thank you. There has been a steady outpouring of grief and support from people in the community where Saturday's tragic events occurred. Grace Key is live with that part of the story. And Grace, the large memorial behind you has been growing since this morning. Incredible. We first arrived here at about 9 o'clock this morning when there were just a few handful of flowers. But take a look at it now. It really is such an incredible sight to see more people dropping off flowers. There's been a steady stream all day of people showing up here at Lynn Valley Village. How could this happen in a place like Lynn Valley? Throughout the day, people dropped off flowers and children placed handmade cards in front of the Lynn Valley Library, the start of Saturday's mass stabbing. They stood in silence as their thoughts went out to a life lost and all those affected in this horrific event. But I just wanted to show my support and I'm really sorry about it all. You just wouldn't expect it. You just don't expect it in Lynn Valley. I hope you guys get through this and 
Lynn Valley's thinking of you and Lynn Valley's very strong. For the Lynn Valley community, a sense of security has now been lost as neighbors grapple to understand how this senseless tragedy could have occurred. We brought down a sign that uh, my wife made and uh, it just says Lynn Valley strong. And I think that is going to be so important that we come together as a community in a positive way now. District of North Vancouver Mayor Mike Little says it will take time for the community to heal. For now, his thoughts are with all those affected. On behalf of the District of North Vancouver Council, I uh, just want to express our uh, deep regret and sorrow for your losses and for the impacts on your family. Uh, this is, is going to impact our whole community, but there's no question that uh, the family and loved ones of the victims are going to be the most deeply impacted, and so our, our heart and thoughts are with you. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth also expressing his thoughts for the victims. It's absolutely just devastating that uh, something this horrific has, has happened. I mean, it's just an, an awful, awful tragedy, and, and I think like all British Columbians, our hearts and our hopes go out to the uh, to the victims and their families at what is absolutely just 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 an absolutely terrible time. In a show of solidarity, all three North Shore mayors came together to lay wreaths at the growing memorial site. So many people, as you just heard, trying to come to terms with what unfolded. Community leaders expressing the need, the importance really just to reach out to one another or any support services if needed. Colleen? All right, Grace, thank you. Online tributes began last night. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying, my heart is in North Vancouver tonight. BC Emergency Health Services also posting, we are all shaken by the horrific senseless crime against innocent victims. And media spokesperson for the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, Sergeant Frank Zhang, tweeting his heart is heavy for the victims and their families and that he is praying for their full recovery. Well, following the North Vancouver attacks, police in the Okanagan are investigating another multiple stabbing. As Jamie Tawil reports, five people were injured near a spring break bush party outside Kelowna that got out of control. We received a call this morning for um, multiple injuries. That call at 1.55 a.m. came from Postel Drive and Old Vernon Road, not far from Kelowna International Airport and not far from a bonfire on Postel Lake Road being attended by a number of local teens. The intersection also where first responders set up a command center. We did go and we assisted the BC Ambulance and RCMP with treatment and triage of patients. RCMP confirmed five people were hurt, and while the extent of all of their injuries remains unclear, the fire chief of the Ellison Fire Department tells Global News some were more serious than others. There is people with lacerations to various parts of the body. I mean, there's some people with, um, to their face, some people to uh, a leg, some people to a chest, um, a back. Um, like there's various things, and someone got hit in the head as well. Police continue to investigate the circumstances that led up to the incident, but the father of one of the victims says his son was the first to be stabbed while running to the aid of a young girl. According to my son, uh, they were around the bonfire. Uh, two people pulled up, and the guy got out and started beating on a girl. And my son stepped in, and he was the first one stabbed, as far as I understand. And his four buddies uh, jumped in, as well, uh, and they all got stopped. 
RCMP have yet to confirm that, and the investigation is ongoing. Investigators add there's no threat to the public, adding they do have an adult male in custody. A small dose of relief for Stu Grabos, a man in disbelief and a proud father at the same time. Uh, it, it's, it's very hard to, to describe my feelings other than anger, and I'm so proud of those boys for stepping in. Uh, to help the girl out. As for his son, Colby, Stu says the 17-year-old is dealing with a lot of shock, a little soreness, but is expected to be just fine. Jamie Tawil, Global News, Kelowna. A man was murdered on Vancouver Island this weekend. Police were called Saturday morning to the 3500 block of 4th Avenue in Port Alberni when a man's body was found on a sidewalk. Police say the 20-year-old from Port Alberni and a house area was stabbed to death. Investigators are asking to speak to any witnesses who are around the area at 6.30 Saturday morning. Police believe the victim and suspect knew each other and there is no threat to the public. A rally was held in downtown Vancouver today as British Columbians joined a worldwide chorus of people speaking up against hate crimes, particularly against those of Asian descent. As Paul Johnson reports, it comes as the number of anti-Asian attacks has risen dramatically this past year. Pushing back against one of the most cruel and disappointing trends of the past year. Since the pandemic hit, Canadians of East Asian descent were among the earliest adopters of mask wearing and social distancing, and the results have been clear. Case rates in their communities have tended to be lower than average. Some thanks they've gotten. Kung flu. Kung flu. Well, the former U.S. president made things immeasurably worse. North America's deep-seated reservoir of intolerance was woken up with tragic results. From a spike in anti-Asian attacks in major cities everywhere to the recent Atlanta shooting rampage, where six women of Asian descent were murdered. We are not going to stand back and let hate overrun us. Andrew Lee has lived in Canada for 49 years now. I've never felt 100% at home even though this is the only place that I know as home. While growing up, there was a lot of racism. Even though Bincy grew up in Vancouver's multicultural West Side, she had to put up with stupid insults made worse because of her gender. There's a lot of jokes with Asian women that like we're passive or submissive or we're objects to be enjoyed. Because of the whole pandemic, it's gotten way worse here. Sunday's rally went smoothly, with the exception of this moment when a maskless man from a nearby anti-vaccine rally was escorted away by security and police. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Trail RCMP are asking for help to track down a white truck with red and blue lights attached to its front grille. Early Friday morning, motorists reported a vehicle matching this description was traveling west on Highway 3B towards Trail and was passed by a truck with lights activated that did not look like a typical police vehicle. The truck did not follow the vehicle, but there have been recent reports of possible police impersonators in the interior. Anyone with information is asked to call police. 
We have an update on the vaccine bookings for BC seniors. They've once again been accelerated. Those turning 73 this year or older and living in the Fraser and Vancouver Coastal Health regions become eligible, rather became eligible, to book their vaccine appointments as of noon today. People in Vancouver Coastal who are clinically vulnerable and have received a qualifying letter were allowed to book as of Saturday. The B.C. government says as of Friday, more than 523,000 British Columbians have received their first vaccine dose. The delivery that is so desperately needed. 1.2 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine arrived in Hamilton, Ontario today, the beginning of an accelerated vaccination campaign. Well, just a few weeks ago, delays from the pharmaceutical companies put Canada's inoculation drive on pause. Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, vaccine or not, BC's COVID numbers are growing fast. What, what should we expect for the week ahead? I think some bad news, Colleen, because that's what we've been having for some time now. The numbers are going the wrong way, and they've been going that way for, again, for weeks. But last week was particularly bad. So I want to compare where we were on Friday compared to the previous week, and it's bad news pretty well in every category. Take a look at these numbers. We ended the week with 698 uh, average active cases. That's more than a 140 increase in the past week. Our positivity rate is now well more than 8%. Uh, again, that's a two-point jump, uh, the highest ever in the pandemic. Uh, 1,950 active cases in Vancouver Coastal. Fraser had been having the most cases, but Vancouver Coastal has the highest growth rate. Again, uh, that's the highest since the pandemic began. And again, there's 258 uh, active variant cases. That number continues to grow more than 100 since last week. And that variant case is a subject of serious concern for people like Dr. Sally Otto, mathematical biologist at UBC, who does modeling on this. And she's worried about the variants getting out of control to the point of overwhelming our ICUs. There's no question that we're going to need to see more restrictions if B117 spreads and and it um, has these impacts on our hospitals, as we predict from the models. What what Dr. Henry has done is kept an eye on the numbers, and as they start to spread, increase restrictions, and I think um, basically we've got another week. So the glimmer of good news in the last week is the number of people in hospital actually declined. While 3,000 cases were recorded, the number of people in hospital actually went down. Hopefully that trend continues in the coming week. No reason to think it will or won't. Uh, In any event, the number to look for is uh, three days of reporting. Is it going to be more than 2,100 cases? If it is, that means our our case average continues to go up. We'll keep an eye on the number of people in hospital, 294 going into the weekend. We'll see if that number changes. I'll join you for the briefing tomorrow afternoon on BC1. Thanks, Keith. The south coast was hit by a bit of a storm this afternoon. In Langley, the wind took out trees and knocked out power to thousands of people in the Walnut Grove neighborhood. Fire crews had to keep people away from downed hydro lines. Crews were also dispatched to repair outages. Currently, the outages stand at about 80,000, most of them on the lower mainland, mainly Langley, Surrey and Port Coquitlam. And about 10,000 customers on the island, mostly Duncan have lost electricity. And high winds are making life difficult for BC Ferries passengers. The company has modified its evening schedule between Horseshoe Bay and Langdale and has cancelled all of its sailings between Tawasson and Vancouver Island this evening. Check the BC Ferries website for updates. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell will have the latest on the forecast coming up.
Just days after our province more than doubled fines for those breaking public health orders by attending or even promoting events, an alleged Vancouver party host is back in jail. Kristen Robinson has more on the new charges he's facing and what the province might do to collect the outstanding cash from so many unpaid COVID tickets. One of BC's most infamous alleged COVID rule breakers arrested again. Get through your place in the wagon. Do you have anything else that we've missed on you? 42-year-old Mo Movasaji taken into custody early Saturday at his Vancouver penthouse after police received a complaint from the public. If these allegations about the arrest are related to COVID and uh, hosting a party, for example, I just uh, find it unbelievable that anybody could be that that stupid, to put it bluntly. Movasaji already accused of operating a makeshift nightclub in his condo. The alleged pandemic party received 77 of the more than 1,500 provincial tickets issued since August. Add in federal quarantine violations, and BC has doled out more than 1.1 million in COVID fines. Do not touch me. You have 30 days to dispute or pay before being deemed guilty. Unpaid fines are sent to collections. It will require the government to take steps in order to actually collect the fine dollars. As of March 20th, ICBC is processing more than a thousand provincial violations or 748 grand in fines. 18.5% or 199 tickets have been paid. The rest are either in dispute, deemed guilty, or cancelled, with 88% of total fines owing. Only 9% of federal Quarantine Act tickets have been paid in B.C. 90% of total fines remain unpaid. I think you can expect that the collection rate for traffic tickets would be significantly higher. Traffic fines must be paid before renewing your driver's license, unlike COVID tickets. But that may change, says B.C.'s public safety minister. The overwhelming majority of people in this province do have uh, driver's licenses. And if we can use it as a tool to, uh, to collect uh, unpaid fines related to COVID, that's certainly something that uh, we are investigating. Movasaji, now charged with disobeying a court order and two counts of possessing a controlled substance, remains in custody pending a court appearance Monday. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver City Council is set to consider a staff report that recommends a regional approach to any potential 2030 Winter Games bids. Oh no, <laughs> not again. And that was what went through COPE Councillor Jean Swanson's mind when she learned of the effort to bring the Olympics back to Vancouver. The 2010, in 2010, Swanson was a poverty advocate who protested against the Games. The International Olympic Committee has altered its bidding process and interested parties are no longer limited to a single city. This time around, a BC Games concept could maximize the use of existing venues, including those built for 2010, and communities with infrastructure already in place. The city would also not lead the bid process or dialogue. I think what we're really saying to the IOC, there are ways to stage the games without leaving behind uh, massive amounts of debt and communities feeling regret and, and so on. So that's the ideal scenario. We're obviously hoping that that city council votes to keep, you know, keep the Olympic dream alive, keep the Olympic and Paralympic dream alive. Um, and we're encouraging members of the public to do their part to uh, help encourage and, and put pressure on council to to, to support keeping 2030 a, a dream for the future.
This can make an enormous contribution to dragging the province and the community out of COVID, to be, a, you know, sort of a, an inspiration for down the road for, you know, what comes next, to be a beacon for tourism. Uh, private sector funding will essentially sustain the operations of the Games. That's $2 billion plus. If the money that was spent on the Olympics was spent on ending poverty and homelessness, it could be done. An out-of-control wildfire is ripping across farmers' fields in southern Alberta between Staveley and Fort McMurray, fueled by dangerously strong winds. It jumped four lanes of a highway and is now threatening communities and homes. The village of Carmen Gay, north of Lethbridge, is being evacuated along with many other rural areas. The fire is said to be burning dangerously close to the community of Clare's home. I thought it was a dust storm at first, and then uh, it was obvious it was such black smoke. And then when I first drove up, the flames were completely across the roadway. There was no choice but to turn around. Claire's home's a fairly good-sized town. They're very, very fortunate. Call it a lesson in publicity. The Belgian director of the children's movie Bigfoot Family is thanking the Alberta government for stirring up controversy about his movie. The director says more people watched the film after Alberta's Energy War Room criticized the movie for spreading lies about the oil industry. The Canadian Energy Centre's recent petition campaign against the film propelled the movie back to Netflix's top ten list. It claimed the cartoon about Bigfoot fighting an oil tycoon villainizes those who work in the industry. There are growing calls tonight to fire two Maryland police officers heard on newly released body cam video yelling and handcuffing a yelling at and handcuffing a five-year-old boy. They're also heard repeatedly telling the boy's mother to beat her child. It happened last year after the little boy wandered away from school. And a warning, you may find this story disturbing. How old are you? Five. A five-year-old boy who ran away from his Maryland school is found by two officers. Back at school, the boy continues to cry. And one officer gets in his face. Calling him a little beast. This encounter happened last January, but the 51-minute body camera video was just released Friday by the Montgomery County Police. When the boy's mother arrives, both officers encourage her to beat her son. Yeah, we want you to beat him. You're talking about getting him a... I can't, I can't beat him. Why? Because I'm not going to prison. You don't go to prison for beating your child. She's now suing the Montgomery County police officers, the county, and the school district. Her lawyers claim the boy suffered emotional trauma. There is a certain way to treat a five-year-old boy. Needing to beat him, like I said, came up at least 15, perhaps up to 20 times. The video also shows the officers handcuffed the child in front of his mother. You know what these are for? These are for people that don't want to listen and don't know how to act. He was released about a minute later. But over and over again, they encourage the mother to physically discipline her child. All I can tell you is beat that ass. You can beat your child in Montgomery County. In front of him and everybody else, you can beat him. And please Just don't leave no cuts or no crazy cigarette burns or nothing like that. We good. All right, meeting adjourned. The Montgomery County Police Department says it has investigated the incident but hasn't released the findings. Both are still sworn officers, according to the department. 
Michael George, CBS News, New York. The mammoth cargo ship that has blocked Egypt's Suez Canal for nearly a week has barely budged. The grounded vessel is halting ship traffic, carrying $9 billion worth of freight every day. And as efforts to refloat the quarter-mile-long Ever Given continue, officials are now considering a very risky move. Six days after this giant vessel got stuck in the Suez Canal, today finally some progress. Rescue crews say they managed to move the ship about 30 yards. That's something, but it's not enough, given this vessel is basically the length of the Empire State Building. A dozen tugboats are operating today, trying to push and pull this ship, get it moving again into the Suez Canal. But Egyptian officials are already talking about a pretty desperate fallback option if that doesn't work. That involves unloading some of the 20,000 containers currently on board the ship. If it's done right, it could lighten the ship's overall load. It could make it easier to move. But if it's done wrong, it could upset the ship's delicate balance, potentially causing a risk of capsizing. Egyptian officials say they hope it doesn't come to that. If it does, they might accept American offers of assistance. But for now, the pressure is really on with $400 million worth of goods blocked every hour that the Suez Canal is closed. Raf Sanchez, NBC News at the Suez Canal. A woman gets the thrill of a lifetime, and what a life it has been. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, we kind of, oh, but before we do that, the city of Beijing is shrouded in thick dust carrying extremely high levels of hazardous particulates. A second sandstorm in two weeks hit the city due to winds from drought-stricken Mongolia and northwestern China, made even worse by deforestation of development. Visibility in the city was reduced and pedestrians were forced to cover their eyes as gusts of dust swept through the streets. Beijing's official air quality index reached a maximum level of 500, which is the highest ranking. And uh, Yvonne, I was so focused on our storm that I almost skipped over that storm. We saw a little bit of everything today. Yeah, a mixed bag, as we call it, Colleen, uh, depending on where you are across the south coast. A quick glance at the winds today in Ambleside. This was captured by one of our cameramen, so it was incredible out there. We had gusts closer to 90 kilometers per hour, and we saw the waves pick up. Brave people that were even out of the water as well. A quick glance at what it looked like in Chilliwack. This one was taken by Mark, showing us the hail there. So we had some thunderstorms popping up as well, and very windy conditions uh, for areas near Maple Ridge. We saw that even in stretching in towards the Fraser Valley, gusts of up to 70 out of the airport was closer to 90 in Tawasson as well, and areas near Nanaimo up to 70 kilometers per hour. Currently, this is what it looks like, though, depending on where you are, starting to see some breaks out there. It is going to be much calmer for tomorrow. We've got some sunshine in the mix, but we're still seeing the winds uh, sustained at 43, and we've got gusts right now up to 61 kilometers per hour. We'll continue to see the winds this evening. The wind warning is in effect across the region. Italy is off as we get in overnight, but we are going to still see windy conditions for areas that are closer to the water. So a heads up, Italy is off, and we'll likely see that wind warning end as we get uh, closer towards the midnight and leading overnight. Now, the precipitation is going to dry off across the south coast. We'll still see some active weather, though, if you're traveling along the mountain 
mountain passes. Higher elevations this evening, still a significant amount of snow, and then it should start to also taper off, but that'll be late through the day. So through tomorrow morning, Allison Pass with 15 and up to 20 centimeters, and the Coquihalla all the way through the Rogers Pass between 5 and up to 10. The northern half of the province will see a bit of a break in between systems underneath a mainly cloudy sky. The next weather maker and system is going to bring in some rain, but it'll be by tomorrow night. Breaks across the central interior and all areas towards the south will continue to watch this cold front. The winds are still going to ramp up tomorrow, sustained at 40 and gusts of up to 60 kilometers per hour, so a heads up for the southern interior. South coastal will still have very windy conditions this evening, in through the day tomorrow, closer by the water. We'll start to see temperatures bumping up. We'll get into the double digits between 10, 11 degrees for most areas. Long-range forecast, Colleen, it looks great out there. We'll have a fair bit of sunshine all the way in towards our Wednesday, and then we could see a bit of a change on the way. But that's Thursday, Friday, still a few days out. Tomorrow with that sunshine, we're going to be basking in it and highs closer to 10 degrees. We will enjoy it while it's here. You Thanks bet. so much, Yvonne. A 99-year-old Russian woman is proving you are never too old to get a thrill. Have a look at this. Maria Koltakova, also known as Iron Granny, served as a flight navigator on a real flight fighter jet simulator, helping the pilot take off, land, and fly. Koltakova is a World War II veteran who served as a combat nurse. Among her various other records, she is also the oldest Russian to have made a parachute jump at the tender age of 93. There is no stopping this woman. Got a lot of goals in life oh. that she wants to hit. <laughs> Love it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Barry, what have you got coming up? A uh, very patriotic theme to the uh, sports tonight. Uh, Canadians at the uh, Miami Open in tennis. We've got uh, Canada's men's soccer team trying to make the Olympics, the under-23 team, in a one-game playoff against Mexico. That's uh, going on right now. Also, Canadians doing well in golf. So it was a good day for the Maple Leaf. We have lots of highlights. Very nice. Thanks, Barry. People throughout B.C., including right here in the Lower Mainland, are all too familiar with the dangers of interacting with bears and habituating them to humans. But in California, a new bear problem. These ones appear to be all too comfortable with people for an entirely different reason, and one that's even more troubling. Come across a bear, and that bear's first instinct should be to run away. But researchers with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife have come across some bears with some odd behavior. Someone opened the, the trunk and it climbed in the trunk. That is definitely not normal bear behavior. And that's got to be a red flag, right? That's got to be a red flag that... that Something is not right. Dr. Brandon Monk, senior wildlife veterinarian, started studying these overly friendly bears in 2014 at the investigations lab in Rancho Cordova. With the help of researchers at UC Davis, even performing CT scans, necropsy showed the bears had encephalitis, a neurological disease. But there's no telling how they're getting it. We started seeing something strange about I believe it was about five years ago. Ann Bryant is the executive director of the Bear League. She remembers one of the bears walking right into a school full of kids, making himself at home in the classroom. And he sat in the back just like a puppy dog. Um, that was not normal. That bear should have been terrified to go into a building with a you know, a lot of people. So it's complicating things for researchers. They appear normal, just friendly. Some even appear healthy with good looking fur. Right now, there's just so many unknowns about this, but yet it's out there, it's happening, and it definitely is getting worse. 
a wildlife mystery, but researchers reminding everyone friendly doesn't mean safe. Next thing you know, oh, maybe I'll just hand feed it and see if it takes it out of my hand. You know, those are situations where you're getting a lot closer to getting bit potentially. The chain reaction of kindness and Kamloops that might have you paying it forward. We'll have that right after sports. And Barry is here with sports now. And Barry, I hope the power comes on in your house soon. <laughs> That's right. Or, or for all those people who don't have power, I guess I can't really say much about that to you because you, you're not seeing You're it. not watching. Forget about that. I'm focused on the people <laughs> who do have power. Thanks, Colleen. Canada's uh, women's soccer team has already qualified for Olymp uh, the Olympics. Tonight, the men are trying to join them. The men's Olympic tournament is for the under-23 teams. Canada has a tough task. They have to beat highly rated Mexico tonight in a sudden-death showdown. But maybe as a source of inspiration, Honduras shocked the United States earlier 2-1 to book their ticket to Tokyo. Canada has got a few white caps on their squad, including Derek Cornelius, David Norman, and Michael Bowen. Valdisimo, Mexico, with a chance early on, but a kick save from the Canadian goalkeeper, James Pantamis, and he knew he would be busy today. The Mexicans very skilled. More pressure. Cordova with the chance in tight, but a nice aggressive save from Pantamis. It's still nil-nil late first half. That's Canada's plan. Play a little rope-a-dope and hopefully get a break later on. All right, Canada's senior men's national team was supposed to play the Cayman Islands today in a CONCACAF World Cup qualifier, but the Cayman Islands team didn't have the proper COVID paperwork required, so the game has been rescheduled for tomorrow night. Canada beat Bermuda 5-1 on Thursday, and they should put a similar beating on Cayman Islands once they get onto the pitch tomorrow. Miami Open tennis, Toronto's Bianca Andreescu in a third-round match against American Amanda Anisimova. First set on serve, Andreescu at net. Could have done better with the put-away. Right there, but rescues the point with a nice volley touch at the net. Five all, first set. It would go to a, a tiebreaker, and Andrescu goes to one of her favorite shots, the dropper. Anisimova gets to it, but an easy put away for Bianca. Takes the first set, 7-6, despite going 0 for 10 on breakpoint chances. But early second set, she does get a break thanks to a huge backhand return winner. Goes up to love. Anisimova having problems with blisters on her right hand. Had to bother her, but give her credit. She dug in, sent the second set to a tie break, and she controlled it. Uh, controlled the tie break. Gets Andrescu on her heels. Big put away at the net. Anisimova takes the set. They're now in the third set, but Bianca is up 4-2. So we'll have all the highlights of that tonight at 11. Earlier on the men's side, 11th seed Felix Auger-Aliassim taking on big serving John Isner. Isner beat Felix in the 2019 semifinals in Miami. First set tied 5-all. Returning the bombs from that 6'10 Isner is not easy. Felix gets this one back, then chases it down. And how about that reflex for the win? What a point from Felix. Check out that athleticism. Even Isner can't believe it, but this first set would go to a tiebreaker. Felix fell behind 4-0 in the tiebreak. Isner's serve is just too good. One of his 16 aces took the set 7-6. Second set, more of the same. No break opportunities whatsoever for Felix, so a lot of pressure to hold your own serve, and he did a great job. The second set also goes to a tiebreak. Here's the key point. 
Felix led the tiebreak 5-4, hammers one to Isner's feet, but the big man digs it out. A fantastic volley winner. Could have been two set points for Felix. Instead, Isner wins it 7-6, 7-6. So Oje Eliasim eliminated in Miami. NBA tonight, Norm Powell with his new team, the Portland Trailblazers, visiting his old team, the Raptors. Just got traded Thursday. Norm lined up on the Raptors' side at the start of the game. Oops, old habits die hard. He did play 349 games in Toronto. Uh, Raptors had a big first quarter. Pascal Siakam. With the uh, basket and foul, Raps led 41-32. Second quarter, Carmelo Anthony will save it, and Norm Powell hits the three. We've seen him do that a thousand times. The big Aussie, Aaron Baines, with the fake and the throwdown. He needs to do this a little more. And the Raptors playing great offensively late in the second. Fred Van Vliet, no, but here comes Chris Boucher with the follow jam. 74 points in the first half. Raps led by six, but they went ice cold in the third. They went five and a half minutes without a point. Outscored 23-10. Powell with the steal and jam. 91-84 Portland after three. Tight game late, but C.J. McCollum with the great move gets the bounce here and one. Portland hands the Raptors another loss, 122-117 the final. Norm Powell, 13 points against his old team. PGA Tour in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. Opposite field event with the WGC match play going on in Texas. Ontario's Michael Gligic in contention. Ninth hole off the green from about 35 feet. Knocks it in for birdie. Very windy conditions at this Oceanside course, so birdies hard to come by on the back nine. 13th hole, Gligic with the approach, and he'll land that one to about eight feet, and then he will knock in the birdie. He was tied for the lead late, but ended up tied fourth. Highest ever PGA Tour finish for him. Roger Sloan of Merritt was 22nd. American Joel Damon won the tournament, his first ever on the PGA Tour. Meanwhile, at the WGC match play in Austin, Texas, an All-American final. Billy Horschel versus Scotty Scheffler. Fifth hole, Scheffler up one, but Horschel will chip this one in for birdie to even up the match. Not a lot of fireworks in this one. Horschel two up playing 17. Scheffler needs to make the birdie putt to extend the match, but he slides it by, and Billy Horschel wins the WGC Dell match play 2-1 over Scotty Scheffler. NHL today, Caps and Rangers from Washington. Alex Ovechkin rolling right now. This is his 12th goal in the past 11 games. Got a fortunate bounce, 18th on the season. He's fifth in the league in scoring. And his career total now at 724, sixth on the all-time list, just seven behind Marcel Dion. Caps led 4-0 at one point, but needed this one from TJ Oshie on the deflection to make it 5-2. That looked like it sealed the deal, but the Rangers weren't done. Chris Kreider with the power play deflection with four minutes to go, but the Caps do hang on for the 5-4 win. Washington with 50 points, tied with Tampa Bay for the most in the league. Formula One race uh, opening up. Formula One season opening up with the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix from the Persian Gulf. The top two racers in Formula One had quite the duel. Lewis Hamilton backs Verstappen. Verstappen makes an exciting pass with three laps to go, but he had to give the lead back because he went off the track to make the pass. So Hamilton 
went back in front, and Verstappen did all he could to make another pass, but Hamilton crosses the line first to take the Bahrain Grand Prix. Canada's Lance Stroll picked up a point, finishing 10th. And NCAA March Madness, number one ranked and unbeaten Gonzaga, taking on Creighton in the Sweet 16. Toronto's Andrew Nemhard, a key part of the Bulldogs' attack, throws it down here. Gonzaga up seven early. They never look back. Nemhard in the second half with a three. He had 17 points, eight assists, as the Zags breeze 83-65. They are off to the Elite Eight, where they will meet either USC or Oregon, who are about to tip off in their game. Okay, you know how doing something nice for someone else can cause a bit of a chain reaction? Well, a teacher in Kamloops recently bought snacks at a local store for her students. And she had no idea how the store clerk who served her would respond. Delana Nisha from CFJC News reports. Of like spicy ramen. And they were asking me, can you get some, some drinks so I have some orange juice? Dina Chase keeps a collection of snacks in her classroom to tide over hungry students. And during a recent refill trip at a Kamloops dollar store, her bill was paid for by a stranger. It was such a small gesture, but I just, my heart was just, I just felt like crying. You know, this is somebody who noticed the, what my colleagues and, and myself are doing, and um, it really touched me. There's so many different avenues, right? Deanna Irwin has been a dollar store employee for years and likes to cover small costs for customers now and then. This time in particular, she felt compelled to help the teacher in line. For her to go that extra mile for her students and counting out her change, the least of what I could do is to cover her bill for her. You know, it... I don't even think it was even like 20 bucks. It wasn't, it, it didn't seem like that big of a deal to me at all. I've done it, I've done it, I don't know how many times before. It wasn't an expensive haul of food, but Chase walked away feeling inspired. She inquired with friends on social media about what she could do to repay Irwin and returned to the dollar store with several gift cards and kind words. Reading these comments floored Irwin. As a single mom, she has used school lunch programs for her son and has a deep appreciation for teachers who go out of their way to care for students. As a parent, you have to do whatever you have to do. you got to swallow your pride and suck it up. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's hard, but that's just what you do. Chase is planning to involve her class with the next act of kindness and has a lot of gratitude for the woman who inspired her. And you know what the most amazing thing was? She didn't even remember doing that for me. Like, I knew it, you are a giver and you don't keep track of these things. It wasn't a large-scale event, but both women say that day-to-day -day exchange provided a little extra faith in humanity. One small thing, like, it's just, it's that ripple effect, right? So if everybody did something small like that, how big would the ripples get? Delana Nishaw, CFJC News. So nice. Mm -hmm. Nice to have a dollar store angel, as they said. Exactly. <laughs> lovely, lovely. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 minutes and a disturbing look at how the investigation into the origins of COVID-19 were conducted. Have a good night. <laughs>